What is your freedom worth to you? Each of our guests had a light bulb moment. They longed to live rather than merely exist. They smashed through their fears and programmed minds, trusting themselves, their faith and their survival instincts. Leaving the guilt, fear, oppression and drudgery of their past. For a brighter future. They took a brave and courageous step into Freedom This is their story of how they got a life Welcome to Get a Life Podcast, Excult Conversations You matter and so does your story Everybody and welcome to the Get Alive podcast, Excult Conversations. I'm here with Anne and Ross, and we're joined by Richard Marsh Jr. and Richard Marsh Senior, who is Richard Marsh Jr.'s uncle. Um, Richard Marsh Senior, thank you very much for joining us. Um, perhaps you could just start right at the beginning and tell us about your life in the Brethren um, and why you left. I didn't actually leave. I was. I never joined, but I was kicked out. Um, the whole Jim Taylor Jr. separation, not eating with people thing, really bubbled up between 1959 and 1961, I think. 1959, I was 15 years old. And so it was a period of two years where these crazy meetings, everybody was whispering in corners, and I was asked to break bread, accept this, this not eating with with the egregious sinners outside. Um, and I couldn't, after lots of heavy sessions with my rather fanatical brother, not Richard's father, the other brother, um, I just couldn't make any sense of it. I just decided this was not Christianity as I knew it. And my, my, the famous thing that Richard's heard me say many times, I remember saying to my brother, are you telling me, his name is Gordon, are you telling me, Gordon, that it's... It's, it's a mortal sin to have a cup of tea with the local vicar, who presumably was a Christian. He said, yes, it is. You mustn't do that. I said, well, I'm sorry. I want no part of that. And it got quite nasty after that. I got a lot of, quite a lot of abuse. And I was, to, this isn't, so I was 16 by now, I suppose. I was put in a very cold caravan in a field outside Cambridge and really had to make my way in life ever since. And I think Richard told me the other day, or last year, that I've got... 65, 70 nieces, nephews, great nieces, great nephews, and apart from Richard, I've never met any of them, don't I mean, totally cut off. Richard's mother, much. I tried to phone her a year or two ago, she just put the phone down. It's, it's, it's a cruel, inhuman, certainly it's not Christian, it's the most appalling abuse. So I've got an entire family that I know nothing of, and I've just had to marry my wife and have my own children, and that's my family now, along with Richard Jr. I, I, I was... I remember being told by my brother that, of course, I was destined for poverty, penury, and uh, all sorts of horrible things. Uh, I wouldn't have a career. I wouldn't get anywhere. And it was ridiculous trying to make my way in the big bad world. And pleased to say, I got on very well in the big bad world, and everything's been <laughs> gone swimmingly. But um, that's but another story. Just, just to put it into context for perhaps viewers that don't understand that big change that happened around the late 50s, try and explain how it was in the Brethren prior to the eating rule and why and how the eating rule came in and the impact it had, obviously on you, it had a huge impact, but on the Brethren generally. 
total character change, shift in everything. Up until 1958, 59, the Brethren were, yes, it was, a, I was going to say, let's finish one sentence before I start the next. Uh, the Brethren were a happy, cheerful bunch, a lot of socialising, a lot of people coming to our house in Cambridge. We had a big house in Cambridge and, and we had all the undergraduates from Cambridge colleges coming to see us who were Brethren. We had tennis courts and it was great fun. And the only downside was I couldn't join the combined cadet force at school and I had to pretend I had a television. I didn't have a television at home. Other than that, it was, it was a very relaxed, happy, natural family life. Then Jim Taylor Jr. ruined all that and ruined several people's lives in the process ever since. So, yes, the, 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 the change in character of the brethren today who are, who are a closed, suspicious cult compared with the happy evangelical people I used to know is, is remarkable. And at that stage, so we're talking sort of mid-late 50s, I imagine, what was the commitment to going to the meetings or the church services like? Was it particularly heavy of a week or? Well, I suppose being brought up in it, one took it for granted. So you mm -hmm. three meetings on Sunday and Monday evenings and Thursday evenings or something. So yes, it was, it was four or five, six meetings a week. I was bored stiff, I must confess. I sat at the back reading <laughs> reading books I shouldn't be reading. <laughs> in my Bible. But um, yeah, I, but I just took it as part of life and I had lots of, happy things going on, lots of friends in and out of the Brethren, sent to Vegas school. Um, and so, you know, I just accepted that it was a bit eccentric, that mm. I had to explain to my closest friends that I got some mad parents, but um, but I could live with it, and we could have lived with it today. I mean, it was, a, as I say, it was a warm, evangelical, mm. happy atmosphere. Now it's a suspicious, closed, cruel, mm. nasty, mendacious atmosphere. Yeah, very much so. And presumably through your school days, um, although you were part of this church, you still mixed and ate and drank with other school children. Absolutely. Yes, it, absolutely. It, there, was, yes. there was no changes there. So this introduction of no eating, it was Jim Taylor Jr., wasn't it, that said you what, what he, he was? I mean, I, was it he said you wouldn't eat with anybody you didn't break bread with? Was that the kind of edict that he... Yes, that's right. He's, he's Get my facts right. Yeah. Is it 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 or something? There's something about right. with, with unbelievers. Yes. And they onto it and just applied it rigorously and fanatically and have done ever since. And it's just destroyed families, destro destroyed so much. And children not being able to go to university is one of my particular bugbears. I'm with you there. <laughs> it's utterly, utterly cruel and inhuman. The fact they have a charitable commission status with the UK government drives me bonkers and absolutely mm. ridiculous mm. um so yes it was it was it was it all began with not eating with sinners inverted commas and yes. that then the separation has got more and more fanatical ever since i mean it um, yeah. that's okay we were just talking about um how things changed in 59 and uh the eating but then you were saying that it was an edict that you didn't feel was right and that led to your expulsion from the family home, from the church, from your yes, friends. And, and and the prospect of going to a decent university and everything else. Yes, I mean, it was brutal, but I just couldn't accept it. I just thought, this is absolute mm. nonsense. It's, you know, I'm only 18, 19, 20, whatever, when I, no, I was 17, I think, when I was put out of the house. 17. 17, yeah. I thought, this is going, if I don't do this, my life is going to be terrible in the brethren I and mean, it's just it's going to constrain restrict me i'm not going to see the world i'm not going to get a decent career um no thank you and and, and i didn't have any conscience i just absolutely fundamentally knew in the core of my soul mm. that 
it is not Christian, it is totally a non-Christian edict. Mm. You can't have a cup of tea with a local vicar, it's just nonsense and made me angry still makes me angry <laughs> yes yes i can appreciate that so were you still at school at this point in the latter years of your school yes i left yes i was yes hmm. um yeah and i went uh, off and i managed to earn some money worked for a local architect when i was 18 and i managed to get myself down to london to uh to the london polytechnic as it was and i managed to get a degree in aeronautical engineering and and from then on, I, I went and did wonderful things with Concord and all sorts of other things. Mm. But that, no, no thanks to my family, I have to say, sadly. No. no. And just out of interest, how, uh, yeah, just out of interest, how did your parents, especially your mother, react to you being, you know, throwing you out? There must have been some emotion there, wasn't there? Yeah, they, they were heartbroken. I mean, to be fair to them, it hurt them more than I think it hurt me. Um, uh, yeah, they were almost in tears, but they just said they had no option. I had to leave the home, and they bought a, it's a pretty grotty caravan and about six miles out in the country in a field, and that's where I had to go, and a bicycle, so I could get back to town. And, um, yes, the, the, the whole even my fanatical brother, and certainly uh, Richard's father, David, who was a much softer, kinder, more intelligent man, um, all were clearly very upset at what they were doing to me, as I say, more upset than I was. Uh, so, you know, it was, I, I, like, it sounds awfully pompous, but I absolutely forgave them. They just believed they had to do it. I felt no resentment to them at all. I just, I resented the system. I resented Jim Taylor. Mm. But my immediate mm. family, I love dearly and, and have, wouldn't have a bad word to say about them. I often think that, that it's almost harder for, for those left behind mm. because I've got freedom. My five children haven't. My parents haven't, and, and you know the heartbreak for them. I just, yeah, just interested to know how your mother especially reacted. Because my my own grandmother did the same thing to two of her sons in '59. And it's not only the heartache, is it? Um, there's a stigma attached to the those that are left in that you know though you know they've got somebody that's left, and it's a stigma um, that that carries with them. You mean the stigma of those who remain in? Yeah. The stigma, yeah. The stigma one of their families They have an errant son. Yeah, they have an errant, you know, child, and there's a stigma attached to them because of that. Well, I can't apologise for that. They frankly deserve it, but there we go. Mm. Mm. It, it reminds me um, very much, it's stirring a childhood memory. I had an, I have an uncle who left at a similar time to yourself, Richard. I never knew him. Um, I was born in the Brethren after he left. I, I did burst into his life much later in life. Um, and I remember being at his parents' house, my grandparents' house one day. I must have been about eight or nine. And we were looking through some family photos. And my grandmother found a photo of my uncle. And she welled up and said, I think that's But that shows how weird their mindset is, isn't it? Yes, doesn't it yes, just? Their mindset yeah. is absolutely abnormal. Yes. Nothing wrong. They're all absolutely right. And anybody who says anything against them is totally wrong. And but I mean, it's in the 21st century for families to split up because you don't believe you can have a cup of tea with somebody mm. is unbelievable. But we mm. kind of all accept it. But it's just think about it. It's the most ridiculous. 
ridiculous proposition. And I say I've, I've got this 60 or 70 f- people in Cambridge that I'm never going to see, never will see, and take no interest in me, and frankly, I can take no interest in them, they know who they are. Mm. That's, and that is meant to be Christianity? If it yeah. is, it's just nonsense. Absolutely. <laughs> It's not a good advert for it, really, is it? It's not a good advert for humanity, let alone Christianity. It's a cult. It's a groupthink cult. And the Mm. more you attack it, the more it strengthens its groupthink and the more they draw together and put barriers around themselves. And how on earth do we ever get into them and get the thing to sort of splinter from inside? I have no idea. Richard's doing some very clever things there, but... uh, but it's very difficult to pick up a cult. I mean, there's so many cults. I mean, Nazism was a cult. The SNP here in Scotland, I oppose mm. bitterly. I don't like mm. the Nazis in Hollywood. They're, that's a cult. I mean, it's 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 frightening. It's, it's, a, it's a weakness of the human psyche and character that people yes. get these things, believe them completely, and nothing but nothing. All the logic on the planet will not alter them because it's, yes. that's, that's their truth, and their truth is the absolute truth. And it's the only it's not, truth. It's the only truth, yeah. It is, mm. of course, rubbish. Mm. And it's it's fascinating because there must be plenty of people still in the Brethren, like Anne's parents, um, that can remember the times in the 50s, for example. I mean, my mother joined the Brethren in the 50s and said exactly like you, Richard, that it was a happy evangelical church and she felt very comfortable and very welcome going in as an outsider, sitting down, just being part of the church. Yeah. Um, and also had to face the change around the sort of 59, 60 time um, and then tell her parents that she, sorry, I can't have anything to do with you anymore uh, and so on. You wonder how people that can remember that actually manage to reconcile that in their heads or do they not allow themselves to reconcile it in their heads? Do they just not think like that? Do you mean the brethren who are in there? The brethren now? in there who people can perhaps like remember a freer time. Yes, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think they thought they were all too sloppy, loose, and Ill, undisciplined, and uh, and they, they they justified by saying yes. we're now on the right, we're now on the right path. We weren't then. We, you know, we, we let we let people in and have, have cups of tea yes. on the kitchen table. Quite wrong. Yes. We were quite wrong, and and now we've got it right. Yes, yes. I, I think you're right. If they think about it at all, one can only imagine that's how they think. Yes. So. You left um, late teens and you did go on and get yourself well-educated and married and had a family and had a, a happy life, I trust. you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. One day you got a phone call from a member of your family or something, didn't you? Well, my son got it first. Saying, this is Richard Marsh. And my son, Jonathan, said, uh, no, you don't sound like my father. And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm your cousin. And at first, apparently Richard will tell the story, but apparently Richard didn't ring us for a long time because he thought we'd reject him or not speak to him or something. Mm-hmm. And it was delightful. I met him at um, Aberdeen Airport a month after the phone call, I suppose. And he just, the dead spit of his father. And, you know, <laughs> and he thought I was the dead spit of, of his grandfather. So mm-hmm. we did this. And uh, it's been a great joy to us. I pity he's in Canada of all places, but, I mean, it's been lovely to have him around. Yeah. And, his family grow and he was put through unholy hell if you'll forgive the language uh mm. by the brethren i mean just the way they withdrew bail on him and chased him and you know probably about the i don't know which people kick me under the table if i'm saying something wrong but the whole business of putting private detectives on him in canada and so on and so forth what were they trying to do to him i mean it's yeah. it's very sinister it's dark and evil and it's it worries me a lot 
I hope he's yeah. free of all that now by exposing what they, the games they were playing. Of course, that was the best thing to do. It stopped them, mm. stopped them misbehaving. Mm. Yes, by keeping him in the public eye as a measure yeah. of protection. <laughs> that, that's the only way to protect him, yes. Yeah, yeah. So over the years, I mean, it's obviously been some years now and you haven't had, apart from Richard, um, your family in your life. What has What contact have you had, if any, with your brothers and your parents when they passed away and what what has happened on that vein for you we gate i gate crashed my parents a couple of times in cambridge and sort of embarrassed them into letting us in the house mm. uh and my brothers came to see us in a hotel once in cambridge about 20, 10 15 years ago and of course you, you may or may not know that both rich's father and my other brother gordon died at christmas and the brethren mm. made absolutely sure we knew nothing about it so we couldn't go to the funeral um so so yes, it's 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 been very 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 limited contact mm. uh, o- over what is it now, sixty years or something. Yeah. So did you? Um, and I'm trying to think of it because did you contact your parents say when you had your children, or did you not feel that that was something you could do because it wouldn't oh, be yes. well received? I, I I tried to obey the sort of normal rules, you know, when you family when rules. I agree. Normal. normal societal rules rules when you have mm. a baby mm. it wasn't me it was my wife um you you you, you <laughs> ring your grandparents and say hello you've got a grandson another grandson another granddaughter of course you do and they'd, they'd make sort of polite utterings on the phone and put put the phone down but was, as far as any interest in the children uh that, that was zero i mean I, I told them they knew it and i took both my children along to to see them in cambridge i think twice over 30 years Mm. Probably, probably not. Probably, certainly once. Um, but and they made all the right noises, but uh, but nothing more. I mean, it was the, the family severed, the split is broken. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the relationship goes, doesn't it? Yes. There's, it's it's a formality. It's yeah. there's no relationship. Yeah, and oh, it's all, I'm far fonder of my gardener, my housekeeper, and my uh, local shopkeeper than I am of my family. I mean, they mean more to me than any of my nieces, nephews, and now dead parents and brothers because they, mm. they threw me out and that was that. And uh, it's really difficult to get emotionally involved when you're treated yeah. like Yeah. How did, yeah. You, how did you cope with that as a 17-year-old? Yeah. Um, I got interested in lots of things, some I shouldn't have done. Um, you know, I, girlfriends, uh, going to the pub, Going to the cinema, which had been banned, I was—I felt very guilty doing it. I was jolly well going to do it now, and um, and then I—I I got a, a fairly high-powered job in Bristol, so I that preoccupied me a lot, and, and it distracted me from all the distress. And as psychology is a wonderful thing. It—I it, kind of blanked it all off. I mean, it's painful and hurtful now to talk about it, but after this this podcast is over, uh, it'll something will switch off, and I'll forget that half of that bit of my life mm-hmm. existed. I'll be back to my my current life. So you, there's a sort of protection mechanism that mm. stops you going bonkers because because when I think about it and what they did and why they've done it, I get very very angry. That's that's not health. That doesn't mm. help. This just eats me up inside. So I've got to stop that. Mm. And I think that's quite an interesting point actually because. A lot of ex-Brethren members have been treated, yourself included, and been treated so abysmally. It's yes. hard sometimes to manage that anger and hurt, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, it, I mean, you, there's, a, there's a great deal to be hurt about. Yes. And the, 
self-righteous priggish that we're we're all correct and you're this evil sinner yeah. doesn't makes it even worse of course because they they, they do impose upon you a, a sort of guilt a mantle of guilt it's all your fault and you're wrong and you've got your entire family telling you you're wrong and everybody they know and all the people you know socially telling you you're wrong it's pretty tough to decide you're not wrong yeah against or yeah. stupidity or a lack of intelligence i don't know but i mean i had to keep fighting this this incessant barrage from from everybody mm. yeah and i think that's actually quite an important message to anybody who is struggling with having left or who is inside and struggling the ethos that comes out of the brethren if you're struggling it's because you're not right with the lord or you know you you need to get clear or whatever they say but actually it's often and i'm sure those that have left more recently can give testament to this it's often the environment you're in that's perhaps causing the problem and although leaving that environment's tough and very sad how you feel once you're out of it is entirely different Absolutely right. Yeah, it's a big weight off your shoulders. You can you can mm. focus on different things, different priorities. I did. I focused on family and career, and, uh, mm. and um, just had to put that aside. Just decided I was unfortunate enough to be born into an extraordinarily mad system. But um, yeah, but as I say, it, had it had it carried on pre pre nineteen fifty nine mode, who knows? I might still be there because there's nothing really wrong with that. It was just an yeah. evangelical, pleasant, happy community. It just yeah. went completely nuts when this eating separation business came in and people got more and more fanatical, more and more cultish, more and more dug in and, and, and there were ever more cruelties and uh, awful things happening to people. I remember in a meeting in Cambridge when the whole business not going to university was on, the, one of the leading brothers looked at somebody, a young undergraduate, said, what college are you at, Cambridge? He mm. said, Corpus Christi. Body of Christ, evil, you've got to go. What college are you at? Oh, I'm at Jesus. Blasphemy, you've got to leave. What oh, college? And so on. It just, just because of the name of the colleges, these, these yes. poor young men worked all their life to get to Cambridge University, they were, were kicked out. Just astonishing. Yeah, they're just the name of the university. I said, clearly, I remember him saying, Corpus Christi, that's evil. You can't call a college after the body of Christ. You must leave tomorrow. He did. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yeah. Without well, why do you think that is, that people just obey like that? That I well, can't feel that. I don't understand the psychology of cults, but that's, it is. I mean, why did the Nazis do what the Nazis did? Why did the SNP do what they do? Why does any group, group think group do it? It's because mm -hmm. their peer group do it and they think they've got to behave the same way. And they, they convince themselves that's the ultimate and only truth. And all sorts of hell descends upon us when that happens. Mm. So to go back to when um, you actually sort of voiced that you didn't agree with not eating and drinking with people you wanted to eat and drink with, and you say your parents bought a caravan so that you had to live separately from the rest of the family, how long did that go on for? Three or four years. Um, oh, God. And then I... I, my, I met my current wife in Cambridge and she, she had a flat, so I was able to get rid of the caravan and uh, we got married shortly afterwards, but about three or four years. Yeah. And in that three or four years, what were your what was your relationship with your parents like? Do, I mean, were you still allowed back into the house or would they... I'm just trying to sort of understand um, what it was I like. Go, I had to go back in to revise my A-levels or something. And yes. I said, 
got to come in in my bedroom with all my books and I can't carry them on a bicycle out to the caravan. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't allowed in and lunch was served on the landing outside my door. So, so I, I re revised for an hour or two. Somebody knocked on the door and said, your lunch is here. And they settled off downstairs and I picked up my lunch from the landing and ate it. And that, that was... <laughs> That was it. I mean, it was, it was astonishing. Yeah. As if they would spend eternity in hell opening the door and saying, hello, Richard, here's your lunch. Mm. Well, lunch is on the table. Come and join us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. so, so just to just to clarify, if I remember rightly, the caravan initially was in the front of the house. That's right. And then, and then some someone suggested this was compromise and you needed to be further away, which was when they towed it off at a safe five yeah. miles distance. Is that the... Is that actually, I've, I've forgotten that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, it was, I was still too close. I was I was on the premises, on the property in a caravan, and they, some, some wise guy pointed out that a, a hardboard wall and a brick wall aren't really very different, so then I was, the caravan was towed away. I mean, how, how utterly... It's this is what's absolutely astonishing because we are all ex-members and we we know how they think but to anybody who has never heard of behavior like that they would be absolutely jaw-dropped wouldn't they that of you course. would do that to your teenage uh, son my, my my friends up here in Aberdeenshire have asked me about my history of course my family history mm. and I, I haven't had a mother or a brother or anybody else around apart from Richard and, and so I tell them the story openly and honestly, and their mm. jaws do drop. And they yeah. say, no, yeah. they can't, that can't be true. No, that's not good. And you see, yeah. they, particularly when they knew that my father was a brilliant Cambridge physicist with two PhDs and my richest father mm. was a brilliant Cambridge physicist, highly, highly intelligent people, not, not sort of numbskulls, seriously no. intelligent people, right at the top of, of the intellectual scale, believe this complete, nonsense and put it into action and that was very difficult yeah. for me that some somebody so clever because uh, I'm, I'm the sick one in the family that, 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 that my very clever older brothers and parents could actually believe this that again it makes you think are you right have you got this right i mean yeah. everybody you know and your your super well-educated parents all are telling you something and you I just couldn't accept it but but it, you you do go through heartaches and a lot of pain a lot of misery yeah, and it must have taken considerable strength of mind because it would have been far easier just to have sort of keeled over and said, yeah, I accept I'm wrong, I'll just have to go along with it. it, it but it must have taken considerable strength of mind at the time. Well, it was it was quite tough at times, yeah, but, yes. but I, I, just, I just applied my logic to the situation and said, this is not Christian, this is not right, this is going to affect the rest of my life. I'm only yeah. 18, 19, 20 years old. If I go along with this, I'm stuck in this nonsense forevermore i can't do it i owe it to myself not to accept it because i don't believe a word of it yeah. and uh, that that helps your you know, that's what gave me the strength to to break away and um and find my own way in life mm. and the other interesting point obviously your children were not born in the brethren they no. knew they didn't know the system but they must have realized that they didn't have grandparents on one side of their family how did they find it once they kind of understood the scenario? Yes, they were very upset by it all, wondering why they couldn't go to Cambridge and see all their cousins and second cousins, yes. and grandparents. And I explained it 
to them, I suppose, when they were young teenagers or perhaps earlier than that, and certainly through teenage years. And they came to accept that, I should be kind of them, that I'd done absolutely the right thing and thanked me mm-hmm. for not staying in so they weren't <laughs> brethren themselves. And you see, my daughter went on to become a urogynecologist. She'd never be able to do that in the brethren. Mm-hmm. My son got a, a brilliant degree in engineering and computing science and uses that all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's, that annoys me or upsets me, I think, more than anything, is that bright young children like, yes. Richard, like mine, or mine are fine because I was out, but, but so many are trapped mm. and limited in life and just could, their life mm. is chopped off at the age of 16 or whatever it is. And goodness knows what they've been taught at Brethren schools. I don't know whether creationism or something is taught these days. But I mean, it's, 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 it, there should be, literally should be a law against this abuse of, of young people. They should be allowed to go to university. And mm. the fact that families, the religious cult bans them, I, I think some politician with some backbone should jolly well do something about that. But it's absolutely wrong. I totally agree. There should be a law against these children being banned from universities. Absolutely. Yeah. Black and white. And I'll, yeah. I actually spoke to my MP about it, but he he, he doesn't want to get involved. And he says, oh, religion's too difficult for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that happened. You had that, didn't you, Anne? <laughs> so many of them say that. And it's just so frustrating. Yes. Oh, oh, we can't get into that because of, you know, re- uh, freedom of religion and all this. Mm. What about freedom of human... Yeah, spirit. And, and, and if God gave us an intellect, and then you're, these <laughs> brethren people don't allow you to develop it. So it's yeah. an, abuse, an abuse of the scriptures right away. That you're, you're made as you are. You've got ability. Something about them, something in the Bible about them. The talents or something, um, you know, it, it's it's absolutely wrong to curtail people at the age of sixteen from any further education. Mm. It, it should it should be illegal. It should yeah. be illegal. One of the things we can all do is is is, is keep repeating that and make let it helps hope it becomes illegal fairly soon. Yes, and try the, the the problem is sometimes it's a little bit devil's advocate is the brethren's stance. I totally agree with you, Richard. By the way, about the going to university and. Um, not even going to university it's the fact that brethren children have no choice about their careers there are some children that are not suited to university but would make superb plumbers they're not even allowed to do that you know there there is no choice about their careers um so you've got to sort of you know every angle the brethren's argument to the university bit is that um well our children choose not to go to university because they realize (laughs) <laughs> yeah right Let, let's discuss that one for a little bit Richard Jr I see you laughing <laughs> but that would yeah. be their argument wouldn't it Richard so Jr yes. let's ask Richard Jr because he had he could certainly got a first class honours doing anything he chose to do so yeah, I'm sure he could yes. being, being denied that Richard Jr how do you feel about that yes, PhD in staring shit probably yeah. <laughs> I think you've got that already Richard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the choice, I mean, this is a kind of um, something that landed in the brethren's lap almost by accident, because um, they they started off as a system that denied the idea of having a ordained ministers or any kind of church official, so that nominally they're all on the level and they've got no titles, which they then found very advantageous, because it meant that when they screwed up badly, they could always blame the individual, and it didn't reflect on the system. I mean, you know, if your church vicar does something wrong, then you can you can blame the church. 
But when it's just this flat system where everyone's nominally or legally just a participant, then it, it gives them this get out of jail free card. And, and they use mm. that all the time. And of course, very notably, they say, oh, we don't break up families. It's entirely down to the family members if they want to continue contact mm. with persons who've left. Now, what they don't say well, is that if, if the family chose to continue contact with the person that was left, then they in turn would be withdrawn from. So mm. it's, it's all dishonest and a lie. But then, of course, when the Charity Commission matter came up, they, they decided that they would incorporate as a, as a church, um, which then put a, quite a considerable legal onus on the trustees of the individual trust and on Bruce Hiles as being officially the leader of the church, which, of course, completely contravenes JND's original idea about not having a, you know, the notion of a clergyman and all that. Um, uh, but now it, it does mean that they are increasingly vulnerable to being sued as an organization and having to take responsibility for things as an organization. So a lot of this stuff is, is coming home to roost. But one of, the, one of the things that's positive is that like in these podcasts, we now have so many witness, so many testimonies, so mm. many affidavits, if you like, of the way they do break up families. Um, it is becoming, their argument is becoming untenable. It is really quite obvious that this is a centrally controlled, highly centrally controlled organization, and that individual members in it do not have a choice as to whether or mm. not they continue to have fellowship with persons who have left. So, um, you know, slowly the perceptions are changing, and I think if a case came to court today, like ones that maybe came up 10, 20, 30 years ago, you would have a, a different outcome. Yeah, and I think, too, it um, comes down to ultimately fighting, and I, I think it, may, it might take a few years, for a change in the law in which the, I mean, in the UK, we're fortunate enough to have the coercive control laws, um, but at the moment they only apply in a close personal relationship. And there is a strong movement to try and change that, to incorporate that um, coercive control can happen from a group, because although it's a group, the behaviour and the outcome is exactly the same as coercive control in a close relationship. Um, but that hasn't yet happened legally, has it? No, I mean that would be that would be a huge step forward. But but things yeah. are moving in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, globally, globally, there's um, less and less tolerance for the more extreme um, acts of you know bizarre religious groups. I mean, the the Jehovah's Witnesses lost a case in mm. in uh, Belgium, wasn't it? Whereby yeah. Shunning was deemed to be, I don't know what the exact outcome was, but yes, I mean, they were they were successfully sued, I believe, for their activity in shunning people. And then they lost government support in Norway over the same issue. Mm. But I, the, the shunning that Jehovah's Witnesses do is exactly the same as the Brethren's withdrawing from. Yes. Same thing. The, the, brethren's, the Brethren are far more extreme, I would think, in general, than mm. the Jehovah's Witnesses. So... That's a that's a precedent that must have had them shaking in their shoes. Mm. Um, so yeah, things are things are you know there's a there's a change in the tide. There's a long term trend, um, particularly with the world becoming increasingly secular. 
um, there's just less tolerance for a lot of this nonsense. Yeah, there um, is. And I, think I, think, with, yeah. I think with the Jehovah's Witness case, it absolutely was that, that the, the ruling was that you can't condemn a group for having quirky rules and for saying if you don't abide those rules, you can't be part of our group. So anybody's entitled to do that. But what they're not entitled to do is order everybody to cut you off because oh, exactly. of that. Yes, you I know, mean, so there's it, a confusion it, it, about it, it, this. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no problem with the brethren expelling people from the church. No problem no. at all. No. The problem is yes. cutting them off from their families. I mean, people get expelled from churches all the time for good reasons or bad, yeah. but it doesn't mean that they can't come home and have a meal or sleep in the same bed. It doesn't mean they have to lose their job. No. Nothing, nothing wrong with excommunication. It, no. it, it, it's the rest of it that's the problem. Yeah, and I think that was the crux of the Jehovah's Witness ruling, which, yes, would have the brethren quaking in their shoes, um, that it wasn't the expelling that was a problem. It was the aftermath of it. And I think that's probably how we would all feel, you know. it, it For you, Richard Senior, it, it, the fact you didn't agree with a stupid rule they brought in was one thing, and... If that meant you couldn't go to their church, so be it. But to lose your family in the way you did is just diabolical, isn't it? I think so, yes, but it's yeah. it's all ancient history. May, yeah. may I just ask Richard, um, Richard, when you and your peer group realised you couldn't go to university, you were, you were all very mm. bright, did, did you resent that? Did you argue about it? Or did you just accept it meekly and think it was the wrong, you know, absolutely okay not to go to university? Well, what was your reaction? To that, well, that, was, that was all history by the time I came along. So mm. you were just sort of brought up where you didn't go to university. So you, uh, the, the question never arose. I do know my oldest brother, Robert, who was exceptionally, exceptionally bright. He was. Genius he level, was, yeah. He was, he was doing his A-levels when he was 15 and, you know, they just yeah. couldn't keep his mind occupied. I know that my parents were called into the school and had a quite an argument with the headmaster who was just insisting, you know, much in the same terms as you were, that it was a terrible waste for this yeah. you know, very talented young man not to go to university because he obviously would have gone right mm -hmm. to the top. Um, Absolutely. Also, I also know that, I mean... Did, sorry, did, he, did, did Robert mind that? I mean, did Robert react? Did Robert want to go to university? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, he was, in spite of being very intelligent, he was also very deeply indoctrinated. He never fought oh, against Yes, yes. Mm. But, I mean, my parents got into big trouble for having him do A-levels. I mean, Roy Norman, who you'll remember, who is also my uncle, um, he was very upset that, that Robert was doing A-levels. But, I mean, that was the level he was at. Before but Roy Norman, Roy Norman went to Cambridge, for goodness sake. Well, he did, yes. <laughs> yes and, and, the hypocrisy is appalling. And when the edict came up, he literally he literally took his degree and put it in the can and peed on it. Because that's, what, were, they, <laughs> that's what they were urged to do. <laughs> but I remember when I was a child, I was exploring in the attic of our house, and there was an old earthenware jar right in the corner, and it contained my parents' love letters, which I found very interesting. But it also contained my father's university degree, which showed no signs of water stains. So <laughs> my father rebelliously concealed it up there, maybe in hopes that the law would change. Good yeah. for him. 
Yes, good for him. But I can remember I, I can remember when I was at school, this is this is my whole argument about the university. When the brethren say, and I don't know how Ross and Anne you felt, but when the brethren say our children choose not to go to university, you could almost say, yes, they do. But it is not even in our psyche, in our thinking, that that is an option. I mean, I, I went through school and left at 16, and it wasn't even in my thinking that that was an option. It, and it's a very weird thing to explain, even yeah. had I been capable of it, or, well, I did eventually in my 30s go to university, but um, <laughs> had I even been capable of it, it, it I don't know if you felt the same, Anne, whilst you're a little bit younger, aren't you? So um, but yeah. I don't know if you two felt the same. It's not, it wasn't in your mindset. No, but... no it, it wasn't. But interestingly, um, Natasha, my daughter, when she was living with me after mm. I left, she said, she, well, they would watch documentaries with me on television. And um, she, she said to me one day on the way to school, she said, I'd love to be a paramedic. Or join the army, mm. and I said, "Well, you know, you can't do that if you stay where you are." And she said, "Do you think they'd let me be a forklift driver?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that's what I mean. It's it's not just the university, so it's a waste of exceptional talent that might be in there. It's the fact you can't even be a paramedic. I mean, my choice of career would have been to have been a nurse. I would have loved to have gone into nursing 18 and, and you know, done that. That was not even an option. Isn't the, isn't the logical uh, sequence of that, that when the brethren need an orthopaedic surgeon or an obstetrician or something, they shouldn't really go to them because they don't approve of the fact they've been educated to that level. <laughs> and if they don't get their own children, they should cut. They, I, I believe I believe them more if they've never went to a doctor, never went to a surgeon in their lives. But, of course, they'll yes. be the first there privately paid for and um yeah, absolutely I, I think that's why you didn't stand the brethren you're far too logical richard i'm gonna go off on a bit of a rant here um no. the, the brethren say that you know uh the young ones going to university it might leave them astray and they might leave the faith but um i don't think anything of um splitting up families um and chucking young kids out for doing basically you know, well, stamping on a Bible, for instance, we've heard of, you know, people mm. drawn from for that. And mm. then also, you know, they say, oh, well, we get around it because we have tertiary study. Well, what, yes. they, what they don't say is, is that all that tertiary study is things like business studies. It's not anything that could be used if somebody wanted to leave. It couldn't be used in the um, outside world. It's not, and it's not a choice. And it's not, it's not no, no there, there are certain courses they could do but it's that yeah. there's there's very limited choice yeah yeah it, it's interesting because if you have time on your hands and read through the full um charity commission report when they had those issues the brethren's answer to the university education which was one of the concerns the charity commission raised was we would allow our young people to go to university should they wish but they would have to leave the brethren for the duration of the time they're at the university. And they would, of course, be free to rejoin once they're finished. At uni and it actually says, oh, I, that's not the actual words, but, 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 but it actually says words to that effect. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just incredibly illogical. Isn't it? 
<laughs> Sorry, yeah. I was on a bit of a tangent there, but not at all, Ross. Though, yeah, it's um, but no, you're absolutely right. It's yeah, it, there's, there's just nothing logical about it. No, but I, I think you're right. They, they, they that's one of the arguments they use as well is that our, our young people do do postgraduate education, they call it, but they don't really specify. It, it, would, it would lead anybody in authority to believe it's fine. They allow their young children to do their, their young teenagers to do postgraduate education. I mean, post 18 education, I mean, you know, sort of after school age, but without really specifying or looking at what it is they can do. And the other thing is, is we I think we've heard stories of, you know, people have done this um, education and then they've left and uh, they've shown the qualifications to people outside and basically they're not really worth the paper they're written on they're not recognized you know yeah. grades really yeah, yeah exactly. the, recognized outside of the brethren so you, they're yeah. only useful if you're working for a brethren business mm. yeah yeah i mean the way i understand that they structure these courses the courses are usually online and you pay for them well there's nothing wrong with that um for example i know that the um aat which is the accounting technicians course is something that's available to them and if you've got your level four aat you are fully qualified to do accounts but you can't sign them off you need a chartered accountant to actually put a signature on them so the AAT would enable a lot of revenue if they'd got their level four to draft accounts, bring them, and then they'd have to get an accountant to rubber stamp them. But they have to, as I understand it, purchase the AAT through a brethren company. I believe it's UBT, but I, I which is not in this head. I'm making sure I'm getting my facts correct here. And they purchase it off an external company. So they can't even sort of, I mean, my daughter actually did the AAT and did it as an apprentice through the local college. And it was a very good way for her to train, but they can't even do that. They still have to do that and buy it off the Brethren UBT company. Um, with its markup, no doubt. With its markup, no doubt. Yes, yes, no doubt, Anne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Richard, when... You mentioned earlier, Richard Senior, you mentioned earlier about losing your two brothers. I know Richard lost his father. How did you find out ultimately that they'd passed away? Did you get a phone call from the Brethren or? Uh, Richard, remind me how we found out. It was, you um, got an email from, from yeah. my brother Peter okay. uh, asking if he could, telling, telling you that my father had passed and asking if he could let, if you could let me know because. They didn't that's right that's right and when, when i went back to ask what the funeral arrangements were and could i come down uh, there was a, a long stony silence and i discovered later that he'd long since been buried uh, he died and was buried within three days which i allegedly which i found extraordinary and mm. then um i heard through the grapevine my other brother had died a couple of months or a month or so later mm. but um uh, I don't... they didn't contact you at all about that i yeah. i um an inside contact and I told you, so they didn't even bother. That's right. Yeah. The email dated December 4th, 2022 reads, 
Uncle, the Lord took father on Friday. He was suffering from advanced Alzheimer's and also had a water infection that had hospitalized him for a brief period. He was restful when he went. Mother is sustained. Please could you let my brother know. I tried to email him yesterday, but the emails bounced back. Peter Marsh. The reply December 4th is, Peter, thank you for letting me know. I am very deeply saddened by that, even though... We could see it was clearly only a matter of time when we last saw him. Alzheimer's is the cruelest of afflictions, particularly for one who had a first-class brain. What are the funeral arrangements, please? I'm wondering what to do about that. Love to all, Uncle Richard. December 4th, 2022 again. Uncle, the burial was yesterday. Peter. Note the email sent the day after the burial. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, presumably they've been um, buried in a brethren graveyard as well. Yes, no doubt. There's graveyards around the meeting rooms, are there, Richard, nowadays in Cambridge? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they have their own plot. Yeah. Better not get into the discussion of graveyard. I was going to say, a... there was a rather poignant pause there, wasn't there? <laughs> I was looking at my watch. Yeah. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so do you feel, Richard Senior, that 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 was a deliberate ploy? They felt they had to tell you because that was the right thing to do. But their timing of telling you was very deliberate. So you know about it. They were determined I wasn't going to, going to go to the funeral, so they told me afterwards. Yeah, because they were horrified when I turned up at my father's funeral, my mother's funeral. They all looked. Well, Richard, you were there. You looked at me as if I was some oddball from outer space, didn't you? <laughs> it did rather stand out. I mean, I was, I was, I distinctly remember um, Aunt Pamela because she was wearing a hat, which yeah. um, was very, very odd to me because I was just used to headscarves. So, um, <laughs> and you, of course, were, had a had a nice formal suit and tie on, and the brethren again on open neck shirt. No ties. When did no ties come in? Anyway, the brethren are in sort of semi-casual dress, which they adopted as a uniform for no particular reason. So yes, I do remember seeing you there. And and were uh, to your parents' burials? Did you go to the meeting or just the graveside? What what at that point were you as an outsider allowed to go to? Me, if you're talking yes. to me, just, just yes. the grave. Just the graveside. Grave yeah. Yes. Yeah. But not the, not the meeting service. Um, I really want to go to the meeting service. No. So. no. I Just think a lot of. Be, be mm. there when the coffin came along to the cemetery. Yeah. 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 And then when Richard came into your life, how did it. I know, I know we sort of touched on this before, but. Did it for you? I mean, you, you, you'd left, you'd married, you'd had your family, you had your life and a, a very fulfilling and happy life, it seems to be. But did it almost open up wounds for you in a way? It did two things. It certainly opened up, opened up wounds that there were so many people I hadn't seen or would never see or would never know me. Yes. But also, you know, there was still a lingering guilt in my soul that I was mm. wrong and they were all right. So it was very nice to have an ally who came out he said everything I thought, and because Richard, I, I think he will tell you that up until he he exposed this awful company that was fiddling the NHS, Richard, I think, believed it all, and and was was a, was was a was a regular meeting going member, and um, 
So to see his conversion, his non-conversion, was um, very, very good for my morale. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that lingering feeling, um, okay, I'm out. Uh, I, I left at quite a young age, married, had children, married another ex-brethren actually, and had children and got on with our lives. And that was past, that was then, that, that didn't matter. And probably, yeah, I was wrong to leave, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> And it takes a long time sometimes for that to go. I don't oh, know does. how those if you've, Ross, if you left much more recently in Anne than I did, how, and Anne Richard as well, but do you find the same or? Sometimes, well, for me, my past sort of catches up with me a little bit. People mm -hmm. talk about moving on and maybe it is like as a young person leaving. But when you've got children in there, mm -hmm. no, Richard, it, it's not about moving on. No. I mean, there, there is a way to learn to live with it. Yeah. But unless somebody does something, well, for me, it feels like I'm giving up on my kids if I don't do something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that totally. Um, I don't know. How do you feel, Ross? Do, do you still feel have that lingering maybe there that, that, that i was wrong because i it, it take, i just want to try to reassure people that are perhaps struggling with that or people who are in who overtly perhaps listen to these podcasts and are thinking well i must be wrong because actually i'm thinking that i'm hearing some sense here and, and doubting it um yeah i mean for me um mm. it's uh for me it's the homosexual aspect really mm. i still mm. think it's wrong to be who i am Mm. Um, yeah, um, is that because that's what what's been ingrained in you? Ingrained in you, and I hate myself for who I am quite quite a lot of the time. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's been ingrained into you for so many years. Yeah, yeah, and it's just wrong. People mm. are who they are, aren't they? Yeah, they are who they are. Um, so, Richard Senior, to sort of go back, if the brethren. Do you think, and this is, this is a question I've often asked myself apropos my parents and my mother joining, do you think there could ever be anything that could happen that could encourage the brethren to, and I don't want to say go back to how they are, because how they were, because that's a very unrealistic perhaps, but what do you think would perhaps encourage some sort of realisation and change? Or do you think it's impossible? I, I fear it might be impossible, but I mean, if, if somebody would expose Bruce Hales's money-making schemes, and there's a lot of sexual abuse of children, I believe, and mm. I think we've got, you know, if somebody needs to point out the bad news, and somebody also needs to tell them, the younger people, the world outside isn't evil and sinful, it's full of wonderful people and wonderful jobs and opportunities, mm. you've got to have a two- or three-pronged attack. How you get that information into the heart of the system, I'm not sure. Hopefully they're, mm. they're looking at... Uh, iPads and things under their blankets and, and can read. Well, we hope so. <laughs> yeah. Richard Jr. is nodding. <laughs> but we've, we've, you, we mustn't go over the top because that actually, as I said earlier, I think a cult, if it's attacked, joins, closes mm -hmm. ranks and gets gets more fanatical. So we've got to sow doubt. We've got to go softly, softly, the catchy monkey mm -hmm. here. So we, we point out the evils. We point out how good the world is outside. I never see a positive case for the world outside the brethren. Nobody ever makes it to them, and they don't make certainly don't make it. They make the reverse. Yeah. Argument and um, 
it's going to be a long process. I mean, we're not going to, the brethren aren't going to fall apart at the seams for another 20, 30, 40 years, in mm. my view. Mm. They will eventually. I mean, even, you know, come the year, come another couple of hundred years, I cannot believe they'll be around. Mm. And it's our job to start that splintering and disintegration now, but it's not going to be quick. It's going to take time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you look at the length of time it's taken any entrenched regime to yeah. break down. Look at apartheid, for example. Um, it took quite yeah. a few years for that to, and there's probably some elements of it still there, but it, it takes quite a few years. But it, uh, what I do think is the this the, the surest way to break it down is dissent from within, it, or or yeah. showing those within that out here isn't a bad place and also i mean a big testament to the people that have left more recently than i have like Anne and ross and richard showing people that even though there's been huge heartache actually you can still smile and you can still have a good life on a day-to-day -day basis you don't forget that heartache and the kids Anne, and your mother ross yes. and, but you you can much, still have a good life a much better life because you and your family can develop full potential and uh, yeah. that's important and uh, yeah only by developing your full potential do you have any satisfaction in life. Yeah, it's uh, it. We've got to get in somehow into the young people in there. I'm not sure Rich is more expert than I on that, but uh, but when it does start to disintegrate, I think it'll fall apart very quickly. I actually mm. think I think if we could start something going within the brethren, that was. Uh, we would grow exponentially and we might we might see just might see it all falling apart quite soon but i'll mm. uh, live in hope of that it may not be the case well i think in a sense we all do um there's also the slight caveat that if it disintegrated if the system disintegrated quickly overnight i think there would be a lot of casualties which would be tragic um yes. as in you know your parents and yeah. people that are, have invested their whole life if they suddenly had to realize i don't know if it'd be possible for some people which is why i say that if almost you could allow people to say to people it's actually okay to go to meetings and to break bread in your way and to keep morally not physically separate from evil because that's what you claim you do but you can still see your family that are not in the brethren. You know, it is okay to start behaving like a mainstream church. Yes. Um, if enough could start yeah. to do that. It would It would start to fall apart. What it is now, it would yes. start to fall apart, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. It would start to fall apart because I think the, the, the control would go, wouldn't it? Um, but that's almost what you want to happen, but slowly, slowly, because you don't want people to um suddenly realize that 70 years of their life has been invested in something and they've got, they, they, they don't know what to do they don't know what yeah. to do well richard senior thank you very much um it's been very very interesting talking to you and for me what's been and i think for others and i hope for our listeners and those inside too what has been most interesting is perhaps the transition you saw in the late 50s, early 60s, that led to your expulsion from the yes. Brethren, um, and how you could see that was going there. I don't think you were the only one at that point. No, no, still... not I think I was the only one in Cambridge, as far as I remember. So it was. Yeah. It was... But yeah. It, it was it's still... the best. And I have to tell you, forgive me, I have to, it's the best thing I ever did. 
I mean, as I grew older and had a career and had a family, I just realized what a, how life would have been so limited, so stunted yeah. if I'd stayed there. Um, yeah. And then Richard appearing in my life was a great joy. Um, so, yes, it's, I don't regret a minute of it, I, but I'm very angry and upset by the behavior of the brethren. I think it's yes. not Christian. Yes. No, totally not Christian. Yeah. Richard Jr., did you, your uncle's very pleased to have you in his life? <laughs> well, and that, that goes both ways. I mean, when yeah. he was talking about how it, you know, when we met, it helped him to face up to those lingering doubts. Of course, very much more so for me, because having left the Brethren, um, I was kind of paralyzed as to how I was going to make my way in the world. Mm. And, you know, having that father figure there and, you know, practical lived experience of how to go from being dumped in a caravan at 17 to being very successful was, was very inspiring. Mm. So I haven't risen to the same the same height, but yes, I've I've made my way. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm I'm happy, mm. and mm. Um, it, it, it's it's hugely important for for anyone that's leaving. You you need you need a mentor. You need a friend. You need mm. you need someone to guide you along. And you know, I was very lucky to have that. Mm. Right, well, out of interest, Richard Junior, why did you not contact your uncle Richard? Yeah, that's a that that is a good question. It wasn't it wasn't actually that I thought he would reject me. It was it was that deeply ingrained inhibition because you're taught that people who've gone out are especially evil. Mm. Um, they in the brethren kind of hierarchy of humanity. There's the brethren at the top, and then there's worldly Christians who there's something good about them. Um, maybe, um, and then there's ordinary people who are just dirty. But then there's the people who've left the brethren, mm -hmm. particular kind of evil. And uh, you know, I don't think it was that I consciously thought that. It was just an inhibition, just like you know, when you like you say when you first go to the cinema, you get that awful guilty feeling, mm -hmm. or when you first eat a meal with non-brethren, you get that guilty feeling. There was just something I just wasn't ready to take that jump and it, it was yeah. just that, that inhibition so um you know i apologize uncle for my for my doubts but, no, uh, i, I was that same I thought that, it was just the way we thought wasn't it yeah the yeah. left were much more evil than the person in the street i mean if you're brought up a muslim and believe that it was a terrible sin to eat pork and then you converted to a christian the first time you eat a piece of bacon you're still going to feel bad because it's, mm. it's it's in vain. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And he didn't he didn't end up being bad at all, did he, Richard Jr.? <laughs> he's, he's a little a little dubious, but we get <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bumble along. Very, very dodgy character. Very dodgy. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think you're right. There, there, there's probably he—he he was this uncle who you never knew because I had an uncle who I never knew who had left before I was born, and uh, it, it, they were kind of a shadowy. I don't know. Quite, it's very difficult to explain, isn't it? They—they yeah. they were a, a sort of a shadowy. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's the family ghost. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's that's a good way to put it. The family ghost. Yeah. Well. Ghost. I can fully relate to that because it took me a long time to see how my cousins did it. Yeah. Yeah, because I thought, you know, like yourselves, you know, well, it was their dad that left. So, again, it was like, oh, he's he's bad. You know, I can't be in touch with them because he left sort of thing. Yeah. It took me probably mm, five, four or five years to get in touch with them. Yeah. And I bet when you did, they were quite pleased to hear from you. Yeah, they were really pleased. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the last thing I'd want to say is I think, in a way, the story of Richard Sr. leaving and making his life and just kind of having to forget about the immediate family he left behind and then suddenly having a member of that family come into his life should give everybody hope. Mm. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I, you know, I bet you never thought you would have that close a relative to you, Richard, until Richard Jr. came in. You, you had no, your it, immediate family and your wife's family, but no, it, it, it was wonderful. It's probably the best thing that ever yeah. happened. Yeah, and yeah. for him. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that should give you know others hope. You, you, you just never know. You just never know what's going on and what might happen and when you might suddenly find you've got a family member you yes. did or did know you have and would love to have back in your life <laughs> absolutely and they yeah. might they mightn't reach out straight away no no, but, no. Yeah, give them no. time give don't them time push, i suppose don't push it yeah yeah it's got to be on their time hasn't it um which we totally understand i think we all understand that don't we it's a ex-members boring yeah. process yeah Put them in the microwave, five minutes at low power. <laughs> but yeah, no, I wanted to say, Richard Senior, thank you very much, because I do think the story you've told, um, I don't think a lot has changed. I'm not sure they quite buy caravans now. I think what they do with errant teenagers is put them in an empty house that's owned by some brother who hasn't yet married. Isn't that what they do? So they've upgraded from caravans now, but the principle is just the same, just the same. You, you, you're errant, you know, you're, you're not agreeing, you cannot. So essentially their behaviour, I don't think, has changed in all those years, just the no. various aspects of it. No, I was unfortunate to get right at the start of it. So, of course, it's affected my entire life from a teenager onwards. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But it's also good to know that you have had a very fulfilling life because um, you managed to get out so young and have time ahead yeah. of you to be able to yes. do those things. But that's, why I'm, that's why I'm so angry for all the other young people. Yeah. Who yeah. And, and for young people that are thinking of leaving, if they're listening to this, it, it is important to to maybe get an education, you know, if, if that's what yeah. you want to do. There's there's many that come out and, and, go, and do go off the rails because they don't, yeah, yeah. go and seek out a job or so, so it is important to try and get some structure in your life early on, I think. It is. And if, if any young brethren are listening to this, they're very welcome to talk to me and I'll tell them about life outside and all the positives. Mm. Yeah. And how good it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and just on, on the score of education, I will tell it because 
you don't have to be young to get, you know, I mean, I went back to university at the grand old age of 33. And the story behind that was I mentioned that I would quite like to have been a nurse and it wasn't an option, but I was allowed to get a job as a dental nurse. And as a dental nurse at the age 16, you didn't have to qualify, but there was an option to do an exam and be a qualified dental nurse. And it was an evening class that you did around your full time job. And I can remember quite clearly it was free because I was under 18. And I can remember quite clearly saying to my mother, well, I can't do that. It's evenings. I'll miss the Monday night prayer meeting. And my mother's reply was, blow the prayer meeting. You're doing that. <laughs> Good for her. And, it, Good. and if she hadn't done that, I would not have been able to go on and qualify subsequently. So, yeah, I'll just say that by way of to say to young people, you know, it it's never too late. Um, you've got to want to do it. And there are, usually are avenues. But, yes, my mother was a bit of a rebel. Good for her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Richard, thank you very much for your time and for sharing your story with us and for joining us on the podcast. And um, look forward to keeping in touch. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, I like seeing the emails that go back and forth between you all. And yes, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, keep Richard. Up, keep up the great work. It's it's a it's a it's a crusade. We must not uh, we must not uh, give up. We must keep at it. Yeah. 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 We will. Thank you. Good for, good for you, Jackie. Thank you. Goodbye, nephew. Goodbye. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to alloflief.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.